the highest bidder for anyone that really... I know some of you will probably be asleep soon either way, right? <laughs> well, we are going to talk about rest this morning, and um, I think it's a really relevant topic because it's something that we don't necessarily do really well as a culture. I was reading about a study that was done back in 2018. I think it's the last year that they have data for this, but they found that 55% of the people in this country don't use all their vacation time. And I think it added up to something like 768 million unused vacation hours for that year. And even when people do go on vacation, another study found that 79% of the people work while they're on vacation. So we have a hard time in this, this country resting, don't we? And, uh, and it shows because, because rest is something that God created us to need. There's another study that was done that shows the importance of physical rest. It talked about the fact that those who work 11 hours a day are 250% more likely to suffer depression than those who only work 8 hours per day. Because that's the way God made our bodies to function. And like I say, well, that's something that, that we have a hard time with, I think, in this culture. And, and in the Bible, there's a, one of the Ten Commandments that deals with that. We talked about that before, about the Sabbath day, about having one day out of every seven that we take to rest. Now, we've talked about this before, too, that that, that doesn't mean that it has to be a specific day of the week. I mean, for the Jews, it was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, and we don't have to take that time period, but the principle still applies. And my guess is that there are some people joining us this morning that, that probably willingly and intentionally violate that principle almost every week. Matter of fact, let me just give you an illustration. Suppose I were to come to you, and I were to say to you, how are you, do, how are you doing? And you'd say to me, Pat, I'm doing fine, but I'm just sleeping around with my neighbor's wife. Now, none of us would think that was okay, would we? I mean, I, I hope not. But what if I were to come to you and ask the same question? You were saying to me, Pat, you know, I'm doing fine, but I'm really tired. I just can't remember the last time I took a day off. We'd probably all accept that, wouldn't we? And yet, both of those are dealing with two of the big ten, the Ten Commandments, and and so rest is really important for us. But there's another kind of rest, a rest beyond just physical rest that we need as well. And that's the kind of rest that we're going to talk about this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. We began that discussion last week at the end of chapter 3, and we're going to kind of pick up there today and, and talk more about this rest. But before I read the passage, I want to see if you guys can help remind me of what our main idea was last week, because that's going to be really crucial for us to understand what we're going to read this week. So anyone help me fill those blanks in up there? What's the first one? Unbelief will always keep me from entering what? God's rest. Yeah, unbelief will always keep me from entering God's rest. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to pursue that even some more. We're going to talk in more detail about what God's rest really is and, and what it really means for us and how can we partake in God's rest. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to um, Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read this morning the first 13 verses, and you can go ahead and uh, follow along as I read. 
Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he points a certain day today. Saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. One of the things I found as we're going through the the book of Hebrews, we've talked about how difficult it can sometimes be to understand. And man, you read through this passage and it kind of seems like he's going all over the place. And, And one of the things I found is that it's really important to kind of step back take a look at the big picture, develop the big idea from each passage that we're looking at, and then see if we can fit the other pieces kind of into that. Because otherwise, if you try to do it the other way around, it can be really confusing. And so as I spent time looking at the passage this week and kind of going over it, here's the, here's the main idea that I think we want to take out of this passage today. We're going to start with that and then kind of work our way with some of the details to support that. And here it is. I must enter God's rest daily by allowing his work, word to speak into my life. I have to enter that rest every day. And the way that I do that is by allowing his word to speak into my life. Now, one of the first things that we have to do here is we have to, we have to really answer the question, what is God's rest? Last week, we, we know that God's rest, it's really the main idea in this entire passage. The word rest was used twice at the end of chapter 3 last week. If I counted right, I think it's used 10 times in the passage that we read this morning. So there's no doubt that God's rest is the main idea here, but exactly what is it? I don't think the author of Hebrews really defines it for us, but he does something that I think can help us to understand it. He gives us these three illustrations in this passage of what God's rest is all about. He begins with the first illustration, which is the illustration of creation. And he actually goes back and he quotes from Genesis 2-2, and he talks about how, how God, from the very beginning of time, that he rested from his work of creation. So we know right away that rest is not something new, it's not something different, it's not something that that God just decided to throw in down the road. It was something that was part of his creation from the very beginning. And as we saw last week, God makes that available for people to enter into his rest and that we do that 
by believing, by having faith, by being obedient to the Word of God, that we can enter into His rest. And he tells us here that there's a parallel between the way that God rested from His creation and the way that that we are to be able to experience God's rest. Here's what it says in verse 10. It says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. So what he's telling us is there's some parallel between the way God rested from His works and the way that we enter into God's rest. There's a parallel there. Now, we know that God still works, right? I think we would all agree with that. God didn't just quit working after the creation. Matter of fact, Jesus confirmed that. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 5. He said, my Father is working until now and I am working. So God still works. But what He did do is He he rested from His work of creation. After He spoke and He brought everything into being, he, He's not still in the business of creating today in the sense that He did it then. I mean, I, I suppose there's other ways you could say that, but, but He ceased from that work of creating. He created the world. He, he brought it into being. He created all the plants and animals. He created man, and then He rested from that work. And I think it's easy to, to see the parallels between that and the rest that 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 God gives to His people, those who put their faith in Him. You know, if we, um, when we come to Jesus and we put our faith in Him, we can rest from the work of trying to earn our way to God, right? I mean, most of us, a lot of people are driving themselves crazy. They're constantly trying to do things to earn their way to God. Almost every religion in the world, with the exception of biblical Christianity, is all about me doing something to earn my way to God. And that's not a very restful way to live, is it? But when I put my faith in Jesus, I can rest from that work. I can be assured that Jesus did that work on my behalf. But it doesn't mean that I just quit doing nothing, right? I still have some work to do after that. The the New Testament is full of passages that talk about the fact that once I put my faith in Jesus, that there is a need for me to work. But it's not for my salvation, and that kind of work shouldn't be a burden, it should be a joy. I think probably the passage that best enables us to see that is when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And in in chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, he wrote these words, and you're probably familiar with them. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's what that's saying, it's saying, you know what, your salvation, you did nothing to earn that, you did nothing to deserve it, it's all God's work, even the faith that you have to believe in Jesus, that was a gift from God, you can't take any credit for that. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, we can rest from that that idea of having to work for our salvation. We get rest from that. But he also says that once you are saved, once you put your faith in Jesus, God's prepared works for you to do. Matter of fact, it says he prepared them beforehand because that's his purpose for us. But here's the difference. When we try to work to earn our way from God, earn our way to God, that work is a burden. But when we work because out of gratitude for what Jesus has already done for us, that work becomes a joy. It actually becomes rest, as we're going to see this morning. So the first illustration he gives us here is that of creation. The second illustration is the illustration of the promised land, and that's really what this whole section has been about. 
He's been writing about here how the, the Israelites, they never entered into God's rest because they weren't obedient to God in the first place. God says, I'm going to give you this land, and they send the spies in, they come back, oh no, we can't take that land. Now they eventually get there, but they don't ever enjoy the rest that God intended for them to have because it was delayed obedience. And delayed obedience, as we've talked about before, is really the same as disobedience. And so they lost out on some of the blessings they could have had in entering into the promised land. That's why it says this in in verse verse 8. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Now, some of you, if you're using the King James translation, instead of Joshua there, you have Jesus. And there's a reason for that, because in the Greek, they're both exactly the same. Isus, which can mean Joshua, can mean Jesus. You have to take the context to figure that out. In this case, I am, I am very convinced that Joshua is the right, the right one to be using there. Because I have a hard time imagining the Scriptures anywhere saying that, that Jesus would not give us the rest that He promised to us. Right? I mean, all of us are probably familiar with what Jesus promised in the book of Matthew. He said this, he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so I don't think he's saying there, Jesus said, he's, he's talking about Joshua. When Joshua brings them into the promised land, they come and, and they don't enjoy the rest that God had promised to them. You know why? They have to fight to get into the land. They have to fight to keep the land. And because they continue to disobey God, at one point God takes them out of the land into exile before he brings them back again. And so they, they have this rest that's never everything that God wanted it to be because they're just, they aren't obedient to God. As we've talked about last week, their disobedience, they cost them that ability to enjoy God's rest, to enjoy the blessings that God had for them. And as a reminder, we talked about this last week too, that doesn't mean that when we disobey God, we lose our salvation, but it does mean that we lose out on the blessings that come with obedience. There's a third illustration he uses here, and that is of the Sabbath system. And again, we talked about this a little bit earlier. He talks about that here in verse 9. He writes this. He says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is the only place in the entire Bible that word translated Sabbath rest is used. It's just one underlying Greek word. But it's pointing back to the Jewish Sabbath system. And we tend to think of the Sabbath, like I said earlier, as one particular day of the week. For the Jews, it was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. But do you realize that God didn't, that's not the only part of the Sabbath system that God put into effect. There's also feasts and festivals. There are whole years of rest that God built into the calendar. And God did that because He wanted to remind the people of the need for for physical rest. But here what we're finding out is that that Jesus offers something even better than that. That He's offering a, a Sabbath rest that goes far beyond just the physical rest. It's a rest that gives rest to our souls as well. So if we take all three of those illustrations... And we kind of combine them together. Here's, here's kind of the summary. Here's kind of the conclusion that I think we can draw out of those three illustrations that will help us to define what God's rest is. First of all, it's both present and future. It's present and future. I mean, looking back to the, the example of the promised land there, it says Joshua didn't give them all the rest that they needed then, 
but he had some rest in the future, speaking, looking forward to Jesus. So the Jews had to find rest the same way the Gentiles did. They had to find it in Jesus. And Jesus, for them, was future. For us, he's present. But there is also an aspect of our, our rest with God that will be future, right? We can enjoy it right now, absolutely, day by day, daily. That's, that's why I said that earlier. That's why there's this thing on today, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But, but there's also this future thing. I mean, our rest won't be totally complete until Jesus comes back again and He institutes His, his millennial kingdom on, here on earth and then He finally creates the new Jerusalem in which we're going to live for eternity. Now, that's the, that's the final aspect of God's rest. But there's also a present part. If there wasn't, the author wouldn't have used the word today as many times as he does in this passage. He says today if you hear God's voice. Today, if you hear God's voice. Today, you can enter into His rest right now. So it's something that we can enjoy right now, but it's also something that we won't get to enjoy in its fullness till the future. The second thing that we can learn about God's rest is it's both a place and it's a state of being. For the Israelites, the promised land was the place that God had intended to be a place of rest. Now, Like we talked about, they forfeited some of that because of their disobedience. But that was intended to be a place where they could find rest. And one day, the new Jerusalem will be a place where we will experience our final rest. Our complete rest. Doesn't mean we won't be working. Doesn't mean we won't be serving God. But but that work is going to be so full of joy. That service will be so full of joy that it won't be a burden at all. It'll still be rest. So there's a place of rest for us. But it's not only a place, it's a, it's a state of being, it's a mindset in which we rest in Jesus day by day, where we lay our burdens upon Him, where we allow Him to take those off of us, where we, we, we put our trust in Him, where we obey, as we'll see in a moment, His Word and live according to it in a way that gives us rest on a day-to-day basis. I think Peter was, was basically writing about the same thing in his letter, he doesn't use the word rest. He uses the word hope. But I think it's all, he's basically explaining the same thing. Here's what, what Peter writes in his first letter. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through a faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. I think you could almost say in this you rest. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What he's saying is that the way, one of the ways we experience rest right now is that we do look forward to that future time when we're going to experience that final, complete rest. And that regardless of what we might be going through here on earth right now, if we will put our faith and our trust in Jesus, then we can experience that rest right here and now no matter what we're going through. So, so, so far we've kind of covered the first part of our main idea for today. We've talked about how I must enter daily into God's rest. But we need to finish up by looking at the last part. How do we do that? And we find the answer to that in verses 11 through 13. Now, 
when you first read verses 11 through 13, it almost seems like, like the author's gone into a new section that's not even connected back to what we just looked at in the first uh, 10 verses of the chapter. But it is connected. It's connected, first of all, by the word therefore in verse 11, so that connects it back, first of all. But there's another connection that you might miss just because of the way some of the the English translations translate a a certain word. Back in verse 2, we read this. It says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Here's what the author's saying. He's saying that... Even to Israel, the word came. The message came. It came through Moses. And the people, they weren't united by those who believed it and listened to it. So they missed out on the rest. And the same thing was true for the people to whom the author is writing now. He's saying, here's the good news. You've heard it through the scriptures. You've heard it through the eyewitnesses of those who saw Jesus. And if you don't respond to that in a positive way, if you reject that, if you disobey that, you're going to miss out on God's rest, and I don't want you to do that. And the message is the same for us today. We hear the good news through the scriptures, and if we fail to respond to that, if we fail to put our faith in Jesus, then we miss out on God's rest. But the word I want to call your attention to there is the word message. And, and in the Greek, the underlying word is the word logos. A lot of us are familiar with that. It means word, or it literally means like it's something that's uttered or spoken. But it also can refer to the kind of the content or the idea that's spoken. So message is actually a really good translation there. But the problem is, is that we don't see the connection with the next section when we get to verse 12, which says this. It says, For the word, using the same word logos, of God is living and active. So there's a connection between verse 2 and verse 12 that draws all this together. Now a lot of you might be very familiar with verse 12 here. Probably some of you can quote it. But here's my guess is that when you use that verse, you probably aren't thinking of the connection back to the first 10 verses of this chapter. And there is a connection here. That this idea of using God's word is is totally related to how we find God's rest. Now this section, in beginning of verse 11, it begins with a command. It says this, let us strive, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That seems kind of almost paradoxical, doesn't it? It says, let us strive to enter rest. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, you have to work to rest? I mean, that's kind of what what it's implying there but then he goes on to explain to us how how we're to do that and we do it through the word of God and we don't have time to to dig through verse 12 and look at every single word in there and explain the the Greek and the verb tenses and all that but what I can tell you is this when you look at verse 12 here's the picture we get of God's word he pictures it as a sword and God's Word works kind of like that, doesn't it? It penetrates into our lives. And it says that it judges our thoughts and our attitudes and our motives, not in the sense of condemning us, but in the sense of assessing them. And when we take our lives and we hold it up to God's Word, what the God's Word begins to do is to, to reveal those parts of our life that are not consistent with God's purposes and His ways for us. You see, God tells us that we have to live out our lives 
on the, in this world day by day. But He doesn't just leave us to do that on our own. He gives us His Word to guide us, to help us to understand when we're getting off track, to show us His purposes and plans and ways so that we can stay consistent with those. And so that's why I said earlier that what we have to do is we have to allow God's Word to speak into our lives. And what that means is that I have to do more than just read God's Word, right? I mean, that's important. But I have to do it in a way so that I'm being exposed to all of God's Word. If all you're ever doing is is looking at a verse of the day, or um, you know, just reading your favorite passages over and over, or skipping over some of the stuff in the Scriptures that seems kind of hard, you're not going to allow all of God's Word to speak into your lives. I think even sometimes devotionals, which can be a really good thing, they can even keep us from really digging into God's Word sometimes because we kind of let the devotional do the work for us. And we don't allow God's Word to speak personally into our lives. I mean, if you're ever lying on a verse of the... Have you ever listened to some of the verse of the days? I mean... I listen to the Christian radio and they have a verse of the day. I've never yet seen a verse of the day that speaks about sin. It's always the good stuff, isn't it? All God's promises and all this. So you have to, you have to let all of God's Word speak into your heart. That's how you enter into God's rest. I love how Pastor John Piper explained this idea. Here's what, what he said. He said, the pathway to heaven is a path of unremitting focus and earnest, earnestness and vigilance toward the Word of God. I think that's so true. And so we've seen this morning that I must enter into God's rest daily, every single day, by allowing His Word to speak into my life. So how do I do that? What are, what are some practical steps that I can take? I've already hinted at some, but what are some things I can do? First of all, let me say this. If you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never put your faith in Him, then you're not resting. Because you're still trying to work your way into God's favor. You're trying to earn His favor by what you do. And I can, I can assure you, I can promise you, that will never give you rest. You will never know whether you've done enough to be right with God. That was the problem with these Jews who wanted to go back to the law and try to follow the law as a way to be made right with God. They would never know whether they were made right with God. So so if you've never done that today, you need to do that. Now I know that most of you joining us today have already made that decision in your life. And so what that means for you is it means that you have part of God's rest, that part, But if you want to experience the rest of it, take it to the next level, then you have to allow God's Word to speak into your life on a daily basis. You need to be reading it, as I said earlier, in a a consistent, systematic manner so that you're reading all the Scripture. Our church has a Bible reading plan. If you haven't already joined that, it's not going to take you through every part of the Scripture over this year, but it'll, it'll sure get you to a lot of places, and a lot of them that I think will speak into your life. And then secondly, I'd encourage you as you read God's Word, would you stop and pray and say, God, I want you to use your Word today to shine into my life. Will you use it to penetrate my life? God, show me where I've gotten off track. Show me where I've rebelled against you. And then as God does that, as we shared last week, make sure you keep short accounts with God. Confess and repent. 
Now, God never promised that everyone would receive his rest. But here's the good news. He has promised for those who put their faith in Jesus and for those who allow his word to speak into their lives each and every day, it is possible to experience the rest of God, not only here and now, but for eternity. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for the rest that is available to us in Jesus. Father, so grateful for that. And Father, right now I want to pray for any person here online or in this room who might not be experiencing that grace. Father, for those who have never put their faith in Jesus, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to their spirit, be drawing them to you, be convicting them of their sin and their need for a Savior. And Father, for those of us who have already made that decision, I pray that you would reveal those areas of our life where maybe we haven't allowed Scripture to speak into your life, Father, into our lives the way that you would desire. And Father, I pray that from that, that all of my brothers and sisters, all those who are joining us today would enjoy and experience your rest. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.